All right, guys, you're here with Josh Thompson uh, for Punk's Opinion. It is Sunday, and uh, producer Dave is playing around with the volume. So, lovely. Right, right into the introduction, uh, producer Dave decides to kick up the volume on uh, some uh, some YouTube clips. Um, I guess, realistically, the only thing that we really have a whole lot, we don't have a whole lot to talk about this week. Um, Sammy and I will cover um, UFC that happened last night. Uh, we will also talk about... Patricio Pitbull and Emmanuel Sanchez for Bellator's main event in um, Tel Aviv. That was an amazing fight. We will cover that as well tomorrow. So uh, today, really, the, I'm just here to really kind of talk about controversial shit uh, because I'm such a controversial motherfucker. But I think that the main thing that we're going to probably talk about is Cynthia Cavillo missing weight, I want to say by two pounds. Almost fainting uh, on the scale is what it looked like, or she couldn't keep her balance, or or um, or stay standing. I mean, it looked like she was kind of wobbly legged. I mean, look, <clears throat> do I doubt that she is <clears throat> that she was struggling to make the weight? I have no doubts whatsoever. She didn't make the weight. Did I doubt that it was probably a really rough cut for her? I have no doubts about that either. <clears throat> um, the one thing that I will doubt, and uh, if you listen to what we just had Dwayne Ludwig on for our episode 100 yesterday, uh, went up uh, last night on YouTube and all the all the other forums, iTunes, iHeartRadio, <clears throat> SoundCloud, Google Play. Um, if you actually, you sometimes will wonder um, when people get hurt, are they really hurt in a fight? Do they get rocked and then they just cover up and they sometimes will act like, not act like they're knocked out, but they will just basically give in to you know, selling it a little bit more. So they, they want out. They want out of there. Then <clears throat> the ref will come in and stop it. Now, with Cynthia Cavillo, like, <clears throat> I think, honestly, that she just didn't want to cut any more weight. She had to be careful with the fact that she didn't want to faint or do anything that would cause her to faint or anything along those lines because if she did, there's no way they were going to let her fight. But it is kind of a slap on the wrist, though. <clears throat> or not a slap on the wrist. It's kind of a... <clears throat> it's kind of lets you know that the UFC... Should have done more. I mean, my personal opinion is that they shouldn't have let her fight. If she was weak-legged, was barely able to walk to the scale, <clears throat> she could barely stand on the scale, Um, you know, and she was struggling, and she still didn't make weight. She still missed weight. <clears throat> so... You saw Buckles talking about how she had a period and not affect Yeah, no, and, and look, that, that, that's another thing. We talked about that yesterday with Dwayne, <clears throat> and I've trained a couple women fighters that were uh, Golden Gloves girls and kickboxing girls, and look, it, it sucks. It does, and I understand. And I will never understand what it's like to go through that, but I do understand as a coach that there's nothing you can do about it. Like you, you can't, you can't like magically pull water out of their system when they're when they're on their period, and then it makes when they when they're on their period, they bloat, they hold water, they just there's nothing you can really do about it. It's it's an unfortunate thing. There should be something that we should try to do um, for that, but I don't think I don't know if there really is realistically there is anything. And we talked about it yesterday with Dwayne Ludwig and some of the women have talked uh, that I've trained have talked to me about that when they get closer, sometimes they don't even get it. Um, that and they, and sometimes their schedule was completely messed up. Majority of them are not on birth control because birth control sometimes will give them either mood swings, will make them emotional or will most likely make them carry or hold water as well. <clears throat> so that's why they don't really uh, take birth control while they're, while they're in training camp. But a lot of the women that I have trained have told me that. So I just, I feel like 
There's nothing she could have done about. There's nothing she could have done probably any further given the fact that she had her period. Um, she and that's kind of exactly what happened to a couple of the girls that I had trained. They were close to weight, like but just the last pound, pound and a half, they just couldn't get off. And it was and I remember going in the sauna and sitting with them for thirty, you know, for thirty forty minutes. And then we came out and they'd only lost like a quarter pound for thirty forty minutes. And that's unheard of. I mean, almost anyone, even if you're sucked dry, you can still lose like maybe a half pound for forty minutes being in the sauna, <clears throat> you know. And even sometimes wetting your lips will sometimes let uh, give your body the perception that you're hydrated and it will will cause you to sometimes be able to sweat a little bit more wetting your lips put a little bit of uh some more maybe some water on you know on your head or your neck cool cool towel or something to, to make your body feel like it's cooled down therefore you can go ahead and sweat some more um i don't know exactly what she did or how she did it but um i have worked uh there's another little bit of controversy behind this is that I have worked with Lockhart and Leith. Lockhart and Leith worked with me for, with me for my last uh, four fights. They helped me um, make weight. I mean, not that I ever had a problem making weight. It was probably one of the easiest things I ever did in my um, <clears throat> in my professional career. It was making weight was was not a, never an issue for me. Did you ever miss? No, I never missed. Um, no, it was actually I even took a fight on two weeks' notice against Kid Yamamoto, and I actually cut from one seventy all the way down to one forty three in about two weeks. Um, <clears throat> It re it, look, but then we're talking about women, though. We're not talking about men. Men, they. I feel like men can almost always suck it up and do it. It's a matter of if they want to or not. You know, um, did they take the precautions, uh, standard precautions to, to try and get their weight down throughout their camp? Um, did what did they do the last two weeks? Did they did they hydrate properly? Did they learn to cut the weight properly? I mean, it, it really comes down to <clears throat> did they want to make the weight? Did they say, did they think that they were going to be able to make the weight? And then when the fight got closer and the weight wasn't coming off as much as they thought that, you know, I, I had done, I had done that a couple of times and, and it was close to me. It wasn't so much that I was close to not making weight. <clears throat> I tried to cut too much weight in one day. I think I had cut like uh 14, 15 pounds in like eight hours. And it was just one of those things where I just, I didn't let my, I should have, I should have cut some, some weight the night before. And then went home and slept, maybe floated a pound or two, woke up, seen where I was at, and then cut maybe the next seven to eight pounds. You know what I mean? But instead, I didn't do that. What I did was I woke up the morning of the, the weigh-ins. Weigh-ins were at four o'clock. It was like 7.30, 8 a.m. I got up, had a little bit of uh, food and a little bit of hydration. And then I went and started cutting weight. And about five hours in, my body just stopped sweating. You know, so I don't know exactly how she decided to do it. I don't know if, but I do know that I have worked with Lockhart and Leith. They do a very good job at what they, they are very good at what they do. Um, there was a lot of uh, things from Mike Dolce that were said back and forth. Now the rift between the two, I think is, you know, um, there was a lot of <clears throat> controversy surrounding Dolce when I think Lockhart and Leith that first came into the business and learning, teaching people how to cut weight or trying to help people cut weight or be on task uh, to make weight. And during this whole thing, the the whole BJ Penn stuff had, had spilled over into with Mike Dolce <clears throat> over BJ being very vocal about how he didn't like working with Mike Dolce because Dolce had tried to give him fat burners and other little things. And look, and 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 I'm good friends with BJ Penn. I know Mike Dolce. I've never worked with Mike Dolce, so I don't know the extent of how he does this. Dwayne Ludwig was on here yesterday saying that he had worked with him. 
several times uh, for multiple fights and said that nothing like that was ever given to him during his weight cuts. And I know that Dwayne had cut a lot of weight because I, I had fought Dwayne um, in Strike Force. And when I had fought Dwayne in Strike Force, that was one of our conversations between each other. We were always very civil with each other, but he had said that he had always had a hard time making weight and, um, you know, and it was just one of those things that he, he had always had cut quite a bit of weight. So all, all those things adding up to what's going on with Cynthia Cavill, but the whole thing comes down to there's a couple things. First, let's start off with it's the UFC's responsibility to take care of the fighters. And I'm not talking about just the UFC. Bellator is the same. One FC is the same. Every podunk organization around the country and the world, it's their responsibility to see when they see a fighter like this, um, especially at a level like this, suffering, you can imagine that l fighters that get to this level, they don't generally fake the funk. Now, she may have tried to sell it a little bit more so that people would understand that, like, look, she was already sucked down as much as she could. She wanted the public to actually see visually in their eyes that... She was not going back into that fucking sauna or that or that uh, Epsom salt bath. She did not want to go back to cutting more weight, even though she probably had another two hours. But she was in another country where we could say a lot of things. We talked about it this yesterday as well with Dwayne, and I've talked about it with Forrest Griffin and a bunch of other people as well, that fighters, when we fight overseas and we travel around the world to fight in another country, We've trained six to eight weeks or 10 weeks for a fight and then you show up and you you end up in a country that you have no idea what a lot of the food is that they serve. You know, uh, how much fat is in it, how much if they, you know, if they understand that you don't want any oils or cooked with any oils, you don't want to cook it with any butter, you don't want any salt on the steak, you don't want any salt on the chicken, you don't want any of these things added to whatever it is you're, you're, um, that you're having while you're there the week of the fight because you are on this uh, weight cutting thing. But this is a big reason why people use Lockhart and Leith. Is Lockhart and Leith actually travels. And, and I would imagine Mike Dolce does the same thing. They travel to the store. They travel with you. They travel to the store. They live with you the week of the fight. And they stay in your hotel. And they make all your meals from scratch. So they... They, they go to the store and they buy the broccoli and the, whatever they can find that they know that they can work with. You know, they buy all these things. They bring it back to your hotel and they, they usually bring like a burner or they have a hotel that has a kitchen or something along those lines. And they make all the food there um, on site for you. It's all fresh and served to your table. You know, as a fighter, that's um, probably one of the most amazing things to have them work with you uh, for that. Um, I have now, like I said, I've never worked with Mike Dolce, so I'm not exactly sure how he does it and what he does specifically, but I have worked uh, extensively with several fights with uh, Lockhart Leith and specifically uh, Dan Leith himself. So I just, I enjoyed having them there. They actually move into my house. They stay with me. They prepare not just for myself, but also with Cain Velasquez, DC, Luke Rockhold, Khabib, uh, even some of the other Russian guys, Islam Makachev, uh, you know, and even uh, uh, Abu Bakr and some of these other guys. They've also worked with them as well. <clears throat> so they, they've worked a lot of top talent. Like, I don't really understand the rift between the two of them. Maybe there was some slang back, you know, some stuff being thrown back and forth, you know, a little cat fight, I guess you could call it, between each other. You know, my food's better than yours. No, no, my food's better than yours. You know, like that kind of thing. And and uh, I'm sure there was some controversy. I think I do recall hearing some controversy from them back in the day um, over this whole thing when Dan, when Lockhart and Lee started getting into the weight cutting thing and in the meal preps and the meal foods and the you know in in, in home care for the fighters and athletes. So um, all that being said, 
going back to the UFC is for me ultimately responsible for allowing her to fight even though she was able to come out on top with the win what is to say who's to say that the next person will not be as lucky who's to say that the next person has just a shitty ass fight looks like shit fights like shit and everything and then ends up not performing well potentially could get hurt and even further you know um we're not going to say that anyone's going to die from this, but I mean, like someone could be seriously injured, you know, to the point of where they may never fight again. You're going to get and so much shit for saying that it's UFC's fault. Who is? You're going to get so much shit online for it. Oh, for the UFC. For the, it was the UFC's fault. It, it was 100% the UFC's fault for allowing her to fight. Now, the actual responsibility to make weight, though, falls on Cynthia. Okay. Whether you hire someone to do it or not. The whole thing is, is it's up to you to make sure that your weight is coming down, to make sure that you're, that, that you're not trying, you're, you're not side skirting whatever it is that Lockhart and Leith is trying to get you to do. You know, were you drinking? Like, like Dwayne said yesterday, I don't know if she was eating a bag of salted peanuts the day before. You know what I mean? Like those type of things. We don't know. We don't know the details behind it all. We don't know if, uh, you know, they were in Argentina, if they could find food that actually, um, that actually they could make, uh, or actually they could find that to, to, to help her get her weight down. I mean, I don't know how, how good a shape she came into camp. I don't know, um, you know, exactly what happened. It said, basically what, it, what, what happened is I started my period this week. That's, that explains it all to me, honestly. And so there's nothing that Lockhart and Leith could have done. There's nothing that Cynthia Cavillo could have done. Um, I think, realistically when you as a woman i'm sure that a lot of these women have had to deal with this um is that you shouldn't cut it that close i guess maybe you should try to get your weight down a little bit further so when the time comes and you have to retain water and hold water because your your body does that and you're on your period then then that's what you have to do you know um you have to always i guess it's unfortunate but you have to be prepared for that i guess that those type of things um, when the time comes she said we were kind of prepared for it because we could feel the symptoms but unfortunately this morning when we got up it was about 5 30 and i had two pounds to go then i couldn't cut any weight from 5 30 to 8 a.m we tried everything and i could not break a sweat even when i got uh, up to the scale yeah it was the same weight that i woke up at, at 5 30 yeah and i don't doubt it you know um and i've heard this from a lot of girls that that I've worked with that, you know, they went to bed, they were about two pounds over, they woke up and they were the same. And that's pretty, that's pretty irregular given that that's pretty rare, given that when you usually go to sleep, your, your body just burns the calories automatically. That's why people always for years have talked about floating the weight. Uh, you know, I'm going to go home and sleep and I'm going to float a pound, hopefully more if you can. I mean, there's times where I was talking with people that during camp, not during weight cut week, but during my fight camp, I'll go to bed at 171, 172, and I'll wake up 163, 164. So I'll float five or six pounds at times when I was younger, like, you know, in my mid twenties, you know, late twenties, I would end up floating the, that, that amount of weight. But as I got older, that didn't happen as much. But then also, too, as you get closer to your weight cut, you don't float that much because you're already kind of dehydrated down a little bit. Um, you're, you're That whole week, you're hydrating up as much as you can, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. So you're just peeing like crazy, peeing like crazy. And you can end up floating quite a bit from Sunday to Wednesday. <clears throat> but when it gets like Wednesday evening, you start cutting a little bit. Thursday, you cut the most almost all day. You know, uh, you broke it. And for me, I break it up throughout the day. I'll wake up and probably like get a little, get a little shadow boxing in with some plastics and start getting my weight down, you know, around t uh, 11 or 12 in the afternoon. And then in the evening, and then in the evening, I will, um, 
you know, I'll, I'll go, I'll basically, after I do my noon training, uh, my noon cut, I'll go back home and sleep. Maybe take a little bit of water in, get some rest, maybe try to float a pound. Then in the evening, I'll go back later in the evening, probably like around 8 30, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock at night, try and cut another, you know, four or five, whatever gets me close, you know, under, under the 160 pound limit, you know, 158, 160, somewhere in there. And then I'll try and go back home and go to sleep and then float the rest of the way. Now, I will tell you this though, is that this early morning weigh-in system didn't start for me until I want to say my last two or three fights. And it was a really weird thing. So it's, it's hard because you, it's hard for you to sleep period with when you're, you're already down close to weight, you know, let's say you're walking around 156, 157 and, um, you know, and it's, 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 it's hard. It's hard. Like when you're already dehydrated, you haven't eaten probably in the last 24 hours or close to, and you're just not, you just, you just can't sleep comfortably. So to wake up and I mean, for Cynthia Cavillo, she wakes up and she's like, Oh, I got two pounds left. And it's like 7am and she's got weigh-ins at nine and, or whatever it is, or six, a, you know, and she's got two more hours and nothing comes off. I can tell you now I've sat in those saunas for 30, 40 minutes and not, not a pound had come off. And you're just ready to like lose your fucking shit. You know, you're, you're looking at everyone. I mean, there was moments where, you know, i came out and I was like in there for 20, 25 minutes and I hadn't lost anything. And I was just, this is, and it's the most miserable 20 to 25 minutes of your life. Cause you're just, you're just wondering like, what, what do you, what do you, what can you do? There's nothing you can do. You know what I mean? And, um, and so for her in this situation, there's not, there's not really anything she could have done. I mean, it's unfortunate, but I, I put, had something happened, I would put it all the blame on the UFC for allowing her to fight. And then secondly, I would blame, I would, I would blame Cynthia Cavillo because it comes down to her making sure that she has that cushion to try and get her weight down as much as possible when it comes fight time, you know? Um, and thirdly, I would, I would end up blaming Lockhart and Lee to being like, Hey, you said you could get me there. And you know, and I paid you to get me there. And, and it doesn't matter. And I'm good friends with these guys, you know, and I believe in everything they do. I actually do trust their system and I enjoyed uh, having them there with me. But at the end of the day, you pay someone to do a job and they're supposed to do it. You know, and it's no different than the UFC looking at Cynthia Cavillo saying, hey, we paid you to make weight. We paid you to fight. Go out there and fight. So I understand that. But you at moments, you got to pay. You see all these fighters that are commenting, all these guys with blue check marks next to their name saying, hey, you know, this is this is this is this one. Uh, this is the one I was going to bring up because you commented on this one on social media today. Mm-hmm. I saw it. And uh you know, like where you were talking about, he talks about how, you know, you're getting from 170 down to 125 for like three minutes and then mm-hmm. you're back to 150 yeah. by the next, by the by fight day, you know. Um, I saw you commenting on it earlier. Like, what were you kind of touching on? Uh, I don't know. I don't recall commenting on uh, Jared Brooks's stuff. Okay. But, um, I mean, maybe there was somebody in there that had commented and I had probably talk shit back to them or something along those lines. I mean, that's kind of That like, wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, that's kind of my MO, I think. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> You know, uh, yeah, in a, in a really weird way, I like to just, uh, when I'm bored, I like to talk shit to people online. And then, you know, and then like mid-sentence, I'll just like bounce out and disappear. Um, it says, Jared Brooks is saying, if you guys don't know how the weight cutting process goes in the UFC, etc., what I have seen is someone cuts from 170 down to 125, they get to make weight a day before weigh-ins and, <clears throat> and they weigh 150 by the fight night. So if you are 150 and someone's actually weighs 125, is that cheating? I mean, no one really actually weighs 125 though. Yeah, but I think he's doing doing like a drastic comparison. Like, like if we both 
cut to 125 and then I come in at 170 and you come in at 140 like is that is that cheating like on no, fight day you know no but saying? I think here's look no it's not because it's not in the rules and, and fighters have known that we've done this for years and that's the thing and the same thing with wrestling the same thing with boxing same thing now with MMA it, we've done it for years and so it's not really considered cheating now you could do let's just say you could do what uh, Floyd Mayweather has done for years He's fought guys like Margarito where he said, hey, I'm going to fight you at 147. And guess what? I think he did the same thing with Oscar De La Hoya. And you cannot exceed this weight by fight day. So sure, we weigh in the day before. We weighed in both at 147. But by the time we fight, you cannot weigh more than 152, 153, whatever it was, you know, for, for them. We could start doing that. And I, I actually suggested that to the California Athletic Commission when I sat in on one of their meetings. And, and I can tell you that they are just fucking oblivious to what's going on. They have no concept, no clue of what is going on. And I can tell you now that there's a girl that is on that board. <clears throat> when I was sitting there waiting to like go through my appeal for the, the Patricky uh, headbutt that I felt like was a headbutt that cost me the fight against him, uh, it just... She, I was listening to her talk beforehand, and she says, "Yeah, what's this new thing that we're doing, where we're letting them, we're letting fights go on that there's open hand striking. It's it's really has grappling and stuff. There's no actual fist punching. It's all open hand striking." And I was like, "Yo, chick, that's called pancreation. That's kind of like the origination of this whole sport." And she had no clue what the hell she was talking about. And so when it comes down to all these things. I just, I feel that it's not cheating when someone makes the weight and then they move on. But I think we need to, I think there is something that needs to be done. I would love to see every, every 10 pounds and you can't exceed the next weight class above you. And if you do, then there's a huge deduction in the fighter. Then that's when you can start taking, you know, your purse. I mean, I don't see any other way. I think that that would be one of the best ways to make sure. And then also too, you allow multiple weight class champions, you know, that, that stirs the pot. And if you can have, think about it. And I'm using this as an example. Is if we had a one, 155, we have every 10 pounds. Really, just got to add 165, and now we've got it every 10 pounds until we hit uh, 205. You know, so it goes 185 to 205 is the 15 pound, you know, jump, and then it goes to heavyweight. But the reason why they have that, and the reason why they should have that, is because, is because the talent at, at that level is is so, is so thin already. There's not a whole lot of people at those weight classes because all those people that fight at those weight classes are already playing football and baseball and making millions of dollars so those people sure we have a lot of top athletes and you know in the top organizations that fight mma but let's be honest and let's be real you know a lot of the best a lot of the better athletes or a lot of the best athletes are are guys that were able to play football and basketball and and uh, and in other sports, you know, that are just significantly bigger in, in the bigger weight classes. I think when you get to 170 and below, we have the best athletes. I think in the world, 100. percent When you start getting up in above 170, you start uh, like watering down the athleticism that we have available to us in fighting. You know, so I, I think I think that when we get to, I think if you do it every 10 pounds, you really take away or you really give the opportunity to have multiple champions. And I'm just going to use a for instance. You know, you have the opportunity to have, uh, let's just say Connor stays at 55, Khabib goes to 65, and you got T. Wood and Ben Askren or whoever else at that weight class. You know what I mean? You have the opportunity to have 
Patricky fighting, uh, Patricio fighting at one, what is it, 135, 145, then you have, you know, Patricky and Chandler and some of the other guys at one, 155, then you have a chance to have Rory McDonald and Robbie Lawler or Roy McDonald and whoever else at 170, you know what I mean, like Douglas Lima, you have, you have options to have guys at 175, 155, 165, 175, guys that would like to, to uh, fight in multiple weight classes, have multiple champions, you know, and you have the opportunity to have a, a fighter who has multiple uh, belts, which attracts more money and which attracts more pay-per-views, you know, and the ability is there. I think, I think, I think that opens up a lot, lot, a lot of better, a lot, a lot better things for all the promotions that, that decide to do that. Um, when you start talking about, I think when you do the every 10 pounds, it opens, it, there's less chance of them getting hurt. I've talked to the commission about it and I said, look, there's less chances of people not making weight because now that it's every 10 pounds, they'll try to fight within that time, within that period. The other thing too is when I sat in the commission meeting, they, they had a doctor in there and the doctor kept telling me there's not any, there's not any actual physical proof or studies that have shown that a fighter actually performs better. It's actually the reverse that a fighter fights worse or doesn't have the same abilities if he didn't cut as much weight. Well, if that's the case, then why do people keep continue to cut weight? You want to know why? Because fighting is, a, I would say, 90 to 95% mental. If you can sit in a sauna and make the weight and get the weight down as much as you possibly can, you know that when you get into that fight, you're going to feel bigger, stronger, faster. You're going to feel like you did everything you possibly could mentally to get to this fight. And then when you step in there mentally, you're like thinking, you're thinking to yourself, dude, I did everything. I made weight. I'm on point. Like my camp was good. You know, um, I suffered all this time to do it and I did it. Now there's one person's going to pay. It's the person that's across the cage from me. That person's going to pay. And I think it happens, man. I think mentally it makes you feel like there is no, um, no one that can beat you. And so when the doctor came in and told me that, which was a doctor, obviously, so he's never actually fought a day in his life, you know, maybe with his mother over the computer, but, um, you know, those type of things, you know, um, like mom, you didn't go get milk today, you know? So yeah, that <laughs> kind of stuff, you know, um, but when, when all those type of things happen, um, when the, when the doctor tries to tell me that, I'm like, well, you, you won't understand. It's a mental thing. It's a hundred percent mental. It's the feeling that, that you can be, that you're unstoppable. And I think, uh, that's what comes from cutting weight. Uh, that's, there's, it's the mental aspect of knowing that you can accomplish it. You knowing that you fought through that miserable sauna or those Epsom salt baths or whatever it is, or whatever your, whatever way it is that you cut weight, you know, that, that, that I think a hundred percent makes you feel a lot, uh, a lot more stronger mentally when you step into that cage. Um, you know, but I mean, overall to talk about it, I mean, the, the Cynthia Cavill thing to talk to, to, to roll back on that. It's the UFC's fault for allowing her to fight because what happens if she would have seriously got injured? It's Cynthia Cavill and I would even blame a little bit on Lockhart and Leith that it's their responsibility to be ready and prepared for something like this to happen, especially if you're going to work with females. Um, you know, those type of things are going to happen and you should be prepared for that uh, as a company that to represent your to represent your uh, your client the best you can. Now, as far as with Mike Dolce, look, dude, you've been out of the game for a little bit. I have nothing but respect for you. I, uh, I, you know, I've heard a lot of good things about you from multiple fighters. Um, you know, I just I feel that at a moment like that, I, I don't know what your guys is. I don't know what your your guys's issue is between Lockhart and Leith and 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 Mike, but 
the issue is though is that like, you really shouldn't be trying to kick people when they're down you know obviously they're not happy with it but i mean they they also do work with a ton of other fighters that are involved in you know on that show not just that show but also other shows around you know that have they've been involved with multiple fighters around and so it, when you actually start looking at the numbers of how many that they actually did not make weight i would say it would be like four to five maybe even less you know so with with i mean i do recall them working with like 11 fighters or 12 fighters on one card i mean that's pretty insane sometimes i think there was one i want to say they i even heard them saying they worked with 14 fighters on one card that's insane that means you're working with one and then the other person's opponent you know i mean you're on both sides of the fence and i do know they're very professional with how they handle things so it's a setback man i mean realistically it is a setback it's unfortunate that it happened but it happened there's nothing you can do about it you know and um that being said, I mean, I, I mean, there's no, there. Were, I felt like there was no reason to for them to both get into it like that. But hey, man, everyone has their drama. I mean, I'm definitely one to talk. Uh, I know Dana said this back in June, but you know, it's been it's been kind of there's not been much movement on it. But as far as going back to 4 p.m. weigh-ins, do you think that there's anything to be said for doing that that decision making? Uh I mean, I mean, for me, I feel like the the morning ones. I don't know. Maybe they're working. Maybe they they feel better. I don't know what the, what it is. I, are you talking about the pay per view numbers? Are you talking about like what is it? Just just like the extra time, maybe. Um, to, I, to I mean, I'm I'm, tell, I'm telling you now, like to try to go to sleep being only two pounds overweight is miserable. So some of these guys are like, you know what? I'll just cut it in the morning. And they wake up and they're like, oh, I didn't float as much as I thought. Oh, then they try to make weight. I mean, knowing that, hey, I got it, like. You're also too. It's like been such a. It's only been what a year, year and a half that they've been doing this whole 10 a.m. weigh-ins. The problem is, is that it's just they're having to host two weigh-ins. There's no reason for it. Sure, the fighters probably would like to do it, you know, this way, but a lot of them are still having a hard time adjusting to the fact that like they don't know how to do it the night before, knowing that they got to get up and weigh in by nine to ten. Yeah. Not all of them have figured it out. And it's not the easiest thing to like cut all the weight the night before and then try to get some sleep. And then our, like, you know, you're, you're thinking about food all night. I mean, th and this is no joke. And I'll tell a story real quick. I was, I was like, probably I'd say about five over, maybe six over. And I woke up in the middle of the night and I almost felt like I was dreaming. And I just walked straight to the fridge, grabbed the orange juice and just started chugging it. And you, I was, you actually did or you drank? No, I actually did. Uh -huh. But I thought I was dreaming. And I woke as soon as I removed that bottle, that that uh, the cap, the milk carton from my mouth, like the yeah, oh, okay. the juice cap yeah. or the, from my my lips. I was like, "What the fuck did you just do?" I <laughs> it was like my moment of like weakness. I don't know what it was, what happened, but it was like three or four in the morning, you know, two or three, two thirty or three in the morning, and I just woke up and just walked downstairs and didn't even. It wasn't even like a second thought. I didn't even think about it. I just opened the fridge, grabbed the orange juice, took the cap off, and just started drinking it right from the carton. And just, I, it wasn't like, go, go, dude, what are you doing? Stop. It was like, go, 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 go. <laughs> I mean, I must have drank maybe close to half of that thing. Wow. And it was just, it was, and I woke up, the, I, as soon as I removed the carton from my mouth, I was like, what the fuck did you just do? Shit. But I mean, I was able the day to wake. This was this was the night before Wan, oh, and I was like, the, and I was I was still probably about five or six over, 
you know? So, I mean, that right there probably put on, I would say, at least a half pound to a pound, you know, probably about a half pound. How long is that cut for And a half pound could take you, it depends. It really could take you. I mean, if you're still six over, you still have, you still have some hydration in you. So, um, it, I mean, realistically, it probably took me like, you know, 30, 40 minutes in the sauna, I mean, half pound to a pound, you know, depending on how well I broke my sweat right off the bat. But I mean, I just remember that. I don't even remember. I, I do recall that that the rest of my right, my, the rest of my weight cut, um, for that fight was pretty easy, but it just was in my mind. Like, man, you just, I can't believe you just broke. You're such a piece of shit. <laughs> I, I thought about it. I was like, dude, like you're, if you don't make weight, it's your fucking fault. Like you're and, and I was thinking to myself, like you're, you're weak, dude, you're mentally weak. You couldn't say no. And I actually didn't even think it wasn't a moment where I stopped and said like, what are you doing? Until after I had already drank all the, the orange juice. It's kind of like one of those things where you, where you're dreaming and you can't tell if it's a dream or you're actually awake. It was. Yeah. It was until that orange juice actually hit my stomach <laughs> and it woke me up and I was like, oh, wow, you're full. <laughs> I was like, you're full. Like you, you, you just drink a shitload of orange juice. I was like, holy shit. But then the other thing as well is like you don't want to drink sugar and orange juice is just packed with sugar, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, because it makes it harder for you to make the weight. You know, the sugar just attaches to you and you just can't get it off. Do you think so. the upside to like early weigh-ins though is that you've got the rest of the day to recover? I mean, you I mean, have pretty it? much the rest of the night and the rest of the next day. And it's like, yeah, that's true. I mean, I, I do recall when the four, you know, most of my fights, I would make weight just fine. And by the, by that, you know, by like, it would weigh in by four or five o'clock and by, by eight o'clock, I was already back up to 170. You've never done the early weigh in, have you? Never did. No, I did. Yeah, did I did. Your yeah, last we fight? did. No, my last two fights was last early weigh ins. Yeah. My last two fights was early weigh ins. Did you have a preference? You know, I actually prefer the later weigh-ins. Mm. The reason why I prefer, like I was saying, I prefer the later weigh-ins because it's hard to sleep. It's hard, like you're dehydrated, you're starving. And if you ever try going to bed, be hungry, it yeah. sucks, man. Like you just can't sleep. You're tossing and turning, you know, and then not to mention just the weight of the fight is on your shoulders. You know, you're thinking about the fight. You're thinking that you're hungry. You're thinking that you're thirsty is all hell. You know, um, there's so many things. You just can't get comfortable. You're just tossing and turning all night. It's one of the hardest things. That's why it's easier, I think, with the later weigh-ins. I would go to bed like six, seven pounds still to, to make. But I wasn't like sucked in so much. I was walking around 72. I'd cut like the day before on, let's say, Thursday. Yeah, Thursday I would cut all the way down to like 62. And then I'd go home and, you know, eat, like sip a little bit of water and eat, shower, sleep a little bit, like tiny food. And then I'd wake up and I basically had lost like another pound and a half, sometimes two pounds. So I was already down to 160 and then I'd show up to the sauna or the, you know, the Epsom salt bath, like to make weight or I'd shadow box in the morning at 10 a.m. or 11 a.m. You know, at AKA when the fighters were all working out, we would all just shadow box for an hour and be like, oh, boom, an hour of shadow boxing, you know, moving around with some friends, you know, just play kicking and stuff. I mean, I was pretty much on weight, five, six pounds in an hour, hour and a half I was ready to go, you know? So that, and then I would just float the rest until weigh-in. So I had a routine, and I think a lot of these fighters have had a routine for so long that now when you have the early weigh-ins, it kind of breaks up their routine. Like, oh, shit, well, fuck, I think I'm close. No, I'm not. I think I'm, you know, so it's, you don't know. They're hoping, I think, to float more than they're, they're actually, their actual body is capable of. And then when they show up, they're like, shit, I'm still two and a half pounds over, and I have an hour to make the weight, and I'm sucked in already. Fuck, what do I do? So that they put themselves in this situation, but in all fairness, I think there's a couple different things that are throwing them off is the, the change of the weigh-ins, the routine of what they used to do, you know, and all sorts of other things, uh, you know, that go along with it.
you know? It's crazy, man. There's yeah, so, man just... yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's enough blame to go around for everyone, you know, but we are here and tw- we're getting ready to hit 2019 and dude, you guys got to get your shit together, man. Like you can't let people that, that, that do that and fighters need to know, like, I don't know if she was serious about like, she couldn't even hold herself up, but if she wasn't, that's kind of a dumb move to do because she could potentially end up not fighting. If she was in the States, they probably would have said, no, you can't, you're not able to fight. And then you would have been out your money altogether. You know, so you got to still pay Lockhart and Leith. You got to still pay your trainers, maybe, or potentially, or whatever it was. And then now you have no fight. So then what? You know, so you got to be careful doing that kind of stuff. If she was serious, if she was serious, and then then it just puts, you know, a lot of the moment or a lot of the pressure on the UFC. Like, hey, you're letting some girl fight that could barely stand up on the scale. That's a no-no, man. I mean, that's, I mean, I'm surprised the commissions here won't reprimand her, for, reprimand them for something like that. You know, like, hey, we're watching you closely. If we see something like that happen, no way, you're not fighting. You know, and that, that falls in the organization. It goes, it goes, there's plenty of blame, like I said, to go around. And obviously everyone's going to come at me hard. They're going to come at me hard in the pank, being like, oh, the UFC had nothing to do with it. If she would have got hurt, the UFC would have had a lot to do with it. You know? Um, and and I'd be up here saying the same shit if it was Bellator, if it was 1FC. 100%. You know, so 100 100%. Yeah. Uh, then moving on. Let's see. Let's see. What else is next? Nick Diaz, March something for UFC 235 against George Masvidal. Ah, it's going to be a great fight if they, if, it, if they actually do get it put together. Look, Nick's been out for what? Four years? Yeah. Yeah, it's been four years, man. 2015. Uh, I mean, how old is he? He's 35. Yeah. He's gonna need one more. He need one more good one. I don't know if Mazadal is the one for him. George is fucking tough, you know. Not only that, but the one thing and and, and George he may stand with him the whole time. I don't think George needs to, but George is uh, George has got good boxing, decent kicks. Nate Diaz, Nick Diaz, they both uh, are susceptible to kicks. But the one thing people completely underestimate with George is his wrestling. His wrestling is fucking nasty good. He's strong. He's good. He's tall. He's long. He's lanky. He's got power. He's got good hands. Tight boxing. The kid's legit, man. Uh, and the four-year layoff with Nick. I just I don't think that I don't think that we're gonna see the same Nick that we would have saw. We would have saw with George. George's thirty-four, but George's been active thirty-four. You know. Um, I think Nate Diaz and Nick Diaz are great for the sport, but. I think that they're 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 hindering kind of their performance and their abilities by taking so much time off. I mean, I think it's good that they're doing what they're doing as far as look they're they're not taking as much damage, but as time goes on, you know, you, it's you lose the rhythm of the fight. You lose the pace of the fight. You just don't get that you don't get by not fighting. That's the thing. You you can't spar as hard as you, you you're forced to fight. So that, that that's something that I think that needs to be talked about. Um you know, as far as with the, with the Diaz brothers, you know, I think that it was very unfortunate that Nate didn't fight Dustin Poirier because Dustin Poirier was a great fight for him and a good matchup for him. And it was a 50-50 draw for both of them. And uh, you didn't have to worry about Dustin Poirier taking Nate Diaz down or just trying to hold him down. You know, um, some of these other guys, that's kind of what, they'll, what they would rely on. So um, <clears throat> there's was, there was a lot of things I think. But I, look, for me, I really don't think this fight's going to happen. I don't see it coming to fruition. I don't see it being uh, put together. I think something's going to end up, you know, in the middle of it all, and I don't think it's going to happen. So, um, I would like to see Nick back. Uh, I don't know. If, I don't know if it's going to happen, and I don't understand why he would potentially fight 
Um, I don't understand why he would potentially fight uh, George, you know? Because, I mean, <laughs> we're just watching the clip of Nick when he laid down against Anderson Silva. And look at, he's doing what he's doing the whole Anderson Silva thing where he runs to the fence. He's like, come on, come fight me. You know? And it's just funny, man. I <laughs> This guy, like, it was just funny. Man. Would have loved it. I, I would have liked to have really seen them fight. Like, because they, they just, they, that fight had so much, so much, uh, so it had it had it had the ability to be a, a huge um, like amazing fight. It just didn't live up to it because of you know neither one of them really pulled the trigger. You know, and Nick wanted to get in there and bang. Anderson Silva was uh, coming off of you know I want to say his loss. You know, and he just didn't want to. I don't think he wanted to take a chance of getting knocked out again, especially by Nick. So would have loved to have seen that fight live up to the the, the potential that it had. But uh, good shit, man. Good shit. I would have loved it. Who won that originally before they overturned it? Anderson. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Anderson. I think this is the fight that Anderson tested hot for. I think the and then Nick did for weed as well, right? This is uh, the one something. that gave him the five-year oh, suspension. Oh, maybe. Yeah, maybe. This is like his third. This was He's, his third weed uh, suspension that they gave him five years for. Remember they, they overturned it? Yeah, it's fucked up. I guess Trump just passed some, some law about how, like... Uh, the non-violent offenders now will get less time in jail or they'll have they'll be able to, to get out on like a a lot earlier release and thing I don't know I had to, I had to read it in to see exactly what the bill was that they signed but I mean it it's going to be it's going to get to the point where like you know professional athletes should be allowed to use it instead of um instead of basically having to be used opioids which is you know just Vicodin, Oxycontin, things like that. I mean it's just stupid for them to have to do that stuff. Man, Nick, I, I'm actually getting excited just watching Nick fight right now. Love it, dude. Love it. He's talking shit to Anderson the whole time right there as they're walking back to the corner. I mean, all things, you know, all the, you know, between Nate and I, like, you know, I, he obviously doesn't like me anymore. But I have nothing but respect for both of them, and I love watching these guys fight. And, you know, we came up with the same circuit with, with Strike Force, and uh, definitely enjoy watching these guys fight, man. Fun to watch, especially uh, Nick, man. Nate as well, but, I mean, Nick and I were kind of around the same, you know, same era of time and things like that in in the UFC first stint, and then also to the uh, also to the UFC or the Strike Force during that time as well. Great stuff, man. I'm gonna I'm gonna try and go back out to Nate's uh, or Nick and Nate and Nick's academy with Stan. I'll, uh -huh. I'll take him a Sammy and a Punk T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Careful, you don't get beat up out there. Uh. Oh, they're actually really good guys man. no they are man they are and i've never had an issue with them outside of the fact that i had to fight nate you know i never had an issue with them at all so. i was uh i was there right before he fought connor for the second time and uh and i was talking to nate a little bit and he's like he's looking at me when he heard me talk and he's like you from ireland motherfucker mm, uh, <laughs> i was like no i'm from scotland he's like all right all right we're good we're good <laughs> you from ireland that's so funny yeah, those are really like our hot topics for uh, Punk's opinion this week. Uh, I think that's pretty much it, man. I mean, we didn't really have a whole lot to talk about. No. Um, we yeah. will cover the the Bellator uh, Tel Aviv with Patricio Pitbull and Emmanuel uh, Sanchez. That was a fucking amazing fight. So if you haven't watched it or you DVR'd it, make sure you tune in and watch that. And then also, too, with the fights last night. Um, you know, what was his name? I can't even say his name. Ponsapizio or something like that. Oh, the dude. The, yeah, um, the guy that beat yeah. uh, Neil Magny. Yeah. So Neil Magny's tough, man. I mean, you got him got him quick and 
and often with those low level kicks and man it was good uh you got floyd back on uh, yeah we got floyd saying he's he's making the rules my place my time all this stuff you actually even called out khabib and said the same thing look it's my rules my you know i make all the whatever he he makes all the stipulations so look khabib's somebody who's like we saw in the last we saw his last fight we saw what he did in the stands afterwards he don't give a fuck Okay, he will fight you in boxing. He will fight you in your mama's house, in your mama's basement. He don't give a shit on your corner. He does not care. Okay, so, uh, but Floyd is uh, still, I guess, a, a matter of fact, I think the Risen 14 uh, for New Year's Eve in the rule set is set revealed, I guess. It's supposed to be revealed here shortly. So we are see. It will be apparently just boxing, no kicks. So we'll see what happens, man. I mean, we'll, it's it not neither. Neither win or loss goes on either on each other's records. It's basically going to be a work, and I've said this from the beginning. Um, you know, they'll probably end up going to a draw. One person will hit one person, the other person will hit one person. Like they'll they'll basically exchange punches in a, in a smoker type sparring session. You know, it'll be a little bit harder than a sparring session, but it'll be more of a smoker where nothing actually counts on your record. Yeah, it says that one now. Yeah, Brooklyn. but you are in Japan. And those dudes, you don't like Floyd. You don't want to piss them dudes off, man. You may never come home. Your money can't buy you a ride home, bro, out of there. So you may be in trouble. You know, um, yeah, I don't know. Who knows, man? Like these are <clears throat> those are things that you gotta be careful for. You know, you better right. You better make sure you have the right management and the right team to take you over there, buddy. So I'm just letting you know. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, good stuff. We're uh, thank you for joining me here with Punk's opinion. Gave us our quick breakdown. If you haven't already checked out, we had Chuck Liddell on last Monday. We also are dropping Mind our Pump. episode with Mind Pump coming out either what, probably maybe, later this week. Maybe yeah, probably day this week. Uh, if you haven't checked out their podcast, their podcast is freaking amazing. Talk a lot about uh, food, nutrition, as well as uh, fitness and health. So they are one of the bombest and most controversial uh, fitness and health uh, podcasts out there right now, if not the bombest. Um, do you follow Sal on Instagram? Yes, I do he's follow so Sal. Funny, yeah, he's so controversial. I love it, man. He does uh, not give a fuck. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he's funny, man. I do I do enjoy uh, Justin for my pump and Adam and those guys. All these guys, those guys are just amazing. It's a, they have a great team, an uh, amazing group. I, we did a thing where I actually interviewed them, or they actually interviewed me. And then they they posted that on there. So check out my episode with them, Mind Pump, on their Mind Pump iTunes. Uh, you can go there and listen to it as well as you can. Um, then we turned around, Sammy and I turned around with producer Dave. We interviewed them. So you can get the feedback on how they got started, how they're doing their numbers and all the things that they're doing uh, to help educate people into what's best for them fitness-wise, health-wise, and all different types of stuff. So check out check out our interview with them. That'll launch this sometime this week. Yeah. I would say probably either like Tuesday, uh, probably Monday night or Tuesday morning or something like that. Yeah, we may depending on it. when we put out, because we we're going to film with Sammy tomorrow as well. Yeah, so, so we're going to film with Sam, with Sam Diggity also tomorrow for Sammy and the Punk. And, uh, hey, you're here with Punk's Opinion. So check us out. We have a lot dropping this week, and we'll work on some other stuff as well. So thanks for joining me. Check me out at, at The Real Punk on IG, Twitter. Uh, hit the subscribe button. Please go to our YouTube channel. Hit the subscribe button there. Uh, it, share it with friends. Send it over to them. If you like some of the stuff and the shit that we talk, just send it out to people and let them uh, hit the subscribe button to just uh, send it all around, man. We're looking to get, get our numbers up as well, and uh, we hear a lot of good things and comments from people. But uh, I definitely want to um, make sure that we 
we get our we get our numbers up. All right, we're doing well. Things are going on. We're gaining ground. Uh, two two fan <laughs> questions that came in yep. today. Um, just if you want to do it real yeah, quick. Yeah, let's do it real quick. We'll do some fan, quick fan questions. Uh, will you ever invite? Will you ever invite podcast fan on your show? No. <laughs> wow, it's clear, clear and yeah. simple. Um, did you have any major injuries during your career? Um, also, oh yeah, I had, my whole career was injuries. Um, also, if so, what did you keep? Uh, what did you do to keep a good mindset? Okay, so I did have a lot of injuries. I had I tore like a scaphoid and lunate uh, the the tendon be, or the ligament between my ca- scaphoid and lunate bone in my hand in my wrist. <clears throat> so. I'd have surgery on my wrist uh, there. I actually, the biggest injury that I had, I actually tore my labrum in my in my shoulder right before I fought Gilbert Melendez the first time to win the to win the lightweight title. When I fought him <clears throat> before I fought him the second time, after I beat him the first time, I had broke my fibula sparring with Billy Evangelista. We were sparring. I broke my fibula in doing sparring. It was my last hard sparring session before I was supposed to fight him for the second time, Gilbert the second time. And there is no doubt in my mind that I would have beat him had I fought him the second time while I was healthy and everything. I only had one more week left of training. It wasn't even a week. It was like I had two days left of training. It was my last hard sparring session. And Billy just so happened to like try and jump up onto my back and slid off and landed on and fell back onto my ankle and broke my ankle. And then uh. what made that worse was I ended up putting because I, I needed surgery. So I didn't just break my I didn't break my fibula. What happened was it was like a spiral fracture. And so they had to put nine screws in. So I have I have a plate and nine screws in my in my ankle. And then not only having a plate and nine screws into my ankle. What happened was every time after I tried getting ready for him for the next 18 months to fight him because we had rebooked the fight several times. <clears throat> every time we had re every time I was getting ready and I was in the camp almost like 2 or 3 weeks out from the fight, there was a couple times where I kicked with it and I actually kicked it at someone's elbow and it rebroke the bone above the plate. So every time I kicked the bone like it, wherever the plate was, wherever the bone had ended at the plate, I would break the bone above the plate. So if you to give you an idea, right? If you take a piece of metal and you nail it to like a uh, piece of wood and then that metal what you do is you pull the excess wood over the top of it and you you try to break that piece of wood over the top of the plate and that's what happened every single time. So for almost 18 months I had broke my leg uh, two and a half basically two more times after that. So I broke it the original time, got the plate and the nine screws put in my ankle. And then two more times after that, I broke my ankle, just getting ready for fights with Gilbert Melendez. And that was like right around the time you were 30, wasn't it? Yeah, I was actually just turned 30, yep. Then one of the injuries, which is not really that big bad of an injury, I fought uh, uh, Adam Lynn, and I want to say I was just turning 30. I'd fought Adam Lynn, and when I had fought Adam Lynn, um, after I had fought him that night, I woke up uh, at like 3 or 4 in the morning, and my... um, my back had went out on me on <laughs> my 30th birthday, oh, which was funny. And we had actually just fought at the Playboy Mansion. So it was like one of my uh, one of my all-time favorite sh- uh, shows to fight at. Good stuff, man. Good oh, stuff. Oh, that's right, Playboy Mansion. I remember asking you yeah. about that. <laughs> yeah, I fought there twice. Yeah. Yeah, I fought Ash Bowman there the first time. And then I fought uh, Adam, Adam Lynn. Lynn the second time. Or maybe it was, no, it was vice other, first. it was the other way around. Yeah, it was the other way around. There you go, yeah. See, I've been hit too much. <laughs> you know? Uh, but yeah, if you guys also too, if you guys, uh, if you guys, I'm actually going to ask you guys this, all you guys and fans and stuff that are following the YouTube, if you guys can go through any of my old footage of my fights and, uh, 
if you guys would please send me any type of like highlight videos or anything you guys put together um, with any of the old YouTube uh, fight clips that I have, either fighting Gilbert or or anybody or anyone that I've ever fought. Uh, there's you know some old Pride videos uh, that I had fought on, you know, against uh, uh, Daisuke Sugie, even Kawajiri, things like that. So any footage you guys can get, if you guys could put together some highlight videos, I'd much appreciate it. Uh, I never really had put a any any of them together for myself and uh so if you uh, if you guys are willing to do that i'd really appreciate it and uh go ahead and tag me in them link them to us and we'll put them up on our youtube channel as well try and get that all out there so i really do appreciate it and uh hey thanks for thanks for listening late